okay. At least the washer and dryer aren't working, right? Right? Right. Right. But, you know, Thumper used to have its own personality. I know. Thumper used to be a big part of the show. It's 8.52 a.m. Saturday, July the 28th, 2018. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane You kind of caught me mid- Sorry. Yeah, I know. My timing is my timing is just a little bit off today. Anyway, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. I feel I don't know. I feel so free and <laughs> it's a weekend and I don't have anything that I have to do. Yeah, it feels very lovely. Yes. Nonetheless, I still woke up at. 6 a.m. and um, Yay. I didn't get up to almost seven. I know. It was quite luxurious. We've been sleeping with our bedroom door closed and the air conditioner on in our bedroom because it's been so warm. We have one of those kind of dwellings where it tends to get warmer all day. So right right about the time we go to bed, I'm feeling, you know, pretty at the un- peak of yeah at, heat. Yeah, the peak of what discomfort comes from the heat so and you can think of peak as p-e-a-k or p-i-q-u-e as where it's wow diane <laughs> nicely done i got myself a cup of coffee here and i'm gonna take me a sip <laughs> boy you didn't waste any time getting literary <laughs> ah, ham and eggs. well that's kind of where we're headed today with the show anyway uh, apparently we we're being literary today on the show can't help it yeah but before we get literary i since we are always talking about our week, you know, and are we always and, talking about our week? Yeah, yes. that's that's what the whole thrust of this show is. It is. And the the highlight of this week, other than the literary pieces that we're going to indulge in later on, was seeing Cat and John. Yeah. That was, I don't know. Every time I get together with Cat. I'm sure you feel this way even more so with Tim. You know, I just have every memory that I have of her just crowding in. And and it's such a delicious rush for me to have all those memories of this beloved person that just um, swamps me. And overtakes my senses and I think that's why I feel so giddy when I'm with her because of all these experiences that we've had together yeah and I think of all the times that she's been in this particular house you know and the things that we've done and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show I'm sure I've mentioned it to you that I have this memory of uh, us listening to I hope you dance and for some reason she went upstairs and when she, I could hear her thumping down the stairs just when it was going to come to this, this chorus where it says, I hope you dance, you know. Yeah. And I just stood up when she came in and threw my arms out. And she was coming down the stairs with her arms thrown out. And I don't know why, that, that memory brings me such joy. Mm-hmm. Just the pure love of the experience of being in love with this person. Yeah. And so all those memories 
including the memories of just having a John and Cat over here stashing away into my treasure chest, you know. Yeah, I like hanging out with them. I wish we could hang out with them more frequently. Yeah. There's a lot of... There's, a, there's always so much energy in the room. And it never really gets... I, I feel like we never get a chance to even really tap into it. Oh, no, I know. Before, because they we're always together around an event or something. Yeah. And, and the event always kind of interrupts. Which is a weird thing about <laughs> being a performer... <laughs> Yeah, it is. is. The number of times I have been with a group of my best friends and haven't been able to say more than a couple of words to them is uncountable. (laughs) You know, I get to sit and watch everybody else have a great time looking at me. (laughs) And I'm up there going, yeah, you know, they get to talk and stuff and between songs and things. And, they're you know, they're having a social event with people and I'm up here doing a show. That just doesn't seem right on some level. But yeah, and it was it, yeah. it was kind of a difficult show for us because the heat was Yeah, the the air conditioning in the place was not uh, what we were led to believe uh, was going to be happening, and I, I was not going to make it, so. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, but I think everybody was pretty uncomfortable in there. Yeah. However, the food was fantastic. The food was fantastic. So it was indeed. So I was glad to, for that. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a highlight of the week. I have a heart full of gratitude to have such friends and yeah, and, to and we're gonna have to experience. we're gonna have to be very deliberate, Diane, in arranging time without some kind of musical interruption. Well, I to spend with Jen. Yeah, Jen I've been Cat. wanting to do this for some time with the because um, well, we've got done. a gift certificate for Vashon September. Anyway, yeah. And so that brings us to the literary portion of the show. Well, it's been an interesting week in that, well, it's been an interesting few weeks because I've been studying. I've found myself, I've, I've gotten to a point with my making of my album where I need to step back from it and let it rest for a while, I think. Although I'm listening to it a lot and I'm making lots of notes and I have lots of ideas and I know what the next step is going to be that I'm going to take. I just feel like this is a good month for kind of letting things season because I'm not feeling that well. My energy level is not at in the top state, and uh, I don't know. I've just been. It's not, you know when I say low and slow, I don't mean emotionally low, but just kind of energy, energy and and yeah, and uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to to take some time off from that. Where would, where did I start this paragraph? Where was I leading to from that? Oh, because of that, You've I've been, been studying. doing more writing in my notebook and uh, also doing a deep dive into Gary Snyder. Uh, it's interesting how you can put together the pieces of somebody's life who you've been curious about uh, <laughs> since... Uh, January of 1978 is where I was first introduced to Gary Snyder. How do you know the exact date? Because I took a class called uh, Literature of the Northwest. It it was a Jan Jan term class at Woodworth, taught by my my advisor Phil Eaton, and uh, it was my one of my first contemporary poetry classes. That's where I first read William Stafford, Richard Hugo, uh, Theodore Redke, Gary Snyder, Denise Leverton. A bunch of poets who became 
favorites of mine and basically the pillars of my poetic love you know at least the the western version of it you know there's john berryman and ginsburg and people like that that are more east of the rockies kind of people but in terms of a western identity hugo stafford snyder you know there isn't much more needed yeah uh, in terms of defining it for me so but snyder's always been a, a standout and every time i go backpacking i take gary snyder books with me and my Gary Snyder books are worn because they've spent a lot of time riding in my backpack and, and it's just a great thing and there have been books about Gary Snyder but nothing very detailed um, about his personal life and I'm, I've always been more curious about it about his personal life than I've been able to you know I have not really been able to piece all of that together but these books that I've been reading one of them is Poets on the Peaks by John Souter which is about Snyder, Jack Kerouac, and Philip Whalen when they were lookouts in the North Cascades. Um, they did all did lookout work up there back in the mid-50s. Filled in a lot of gaps about Gary Snyder and his Buddhist practice. And then I've been reading this book, Nobody Home, that I've been talking about, the one with the, with the interviews and the correspondence between he and this South African writer, Julia Martin. And I finished that this morning. And there's so much, and in all of these books about Gary Snyder, they refer to poems, they refer to articles, they refer to essays that he's written. And I've been late letting those books take me to those other places too, as just kind of a cross check and a way to connect with what, what is being referred to in the primary book. Let's go read the piece that they're talking about so that I get the resonance of what they're saying about it. Right? Yeah. So it's been that kind of study. That's all I've been doing. That's such a wonderful aspect of of coming round full circle well, to yeah. be able to study in the same way as you did in college. To well, have this the... is a totally different kind of study in my mind um, because it's based on totally on my my own interaction with this stuff and the, right. and the directions that it has sent me in my life. And Gary Snyder is probably the only poet that I really love who I've got enough books to be able to do that kind of but study. But not only that, but you had the introduction to this kind of study when you were young, but you have the years of experience and, and ripeness of yeah. maturity to right. enjoy the poet, so it all comes, poems in a different way. It all comes around to being an old man. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff that I'm reading, well, I, Poets on Peaks is about Snyder as a young man, but Nobody Home is, is actually, I've wondered because I know that his wife Carol of many years died of cancer uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, I didn't know, you know much about that story, and there was very little of his writing that chronicled that period of his life. Right. This book that I just finished actually does chronicle that and fills in a lot of the blanks in the correspondence between he and this Julia Martin. And uh, it's just a really good book, and it, it fills in a piece of my knowledge about Gary Snyder, and also it's got some amazing writing in it too. So it's really a nice book. But it kind of led me, a lot of the period that is covered in Nobody's Home is the period when he was finishing his big poem, Mountains and Rivers Without End, which he started uh, in the 40s and, and finished, you know, in the early 50s. 
Yeah, I think he started it in 1956 and finished it in 1996. So 40 years he spent on this one, what is it's thought of as a continuous work based on uh, Japanese scroll paintings. Oh, right. The scrolls that just go on of all the mountains and there's guys walking in the hills and those kind of yeah. those long scrolls. That's what that's mountains and rivers without end. That's, wow. That's that where that image is, which is why if you look on the inside cover of the book, there are these oh, right. reproductions of the of those paintings, which is what inspired this originally, seeing these scroll paintings where you kind of roll them out left or I think it's right to left and the story a story emerges. And there were actually there's actually symbols scattered throughout that will say either something about the story or they're the, they're the marks of some king or some emperor that, that saw the scroll and wanted to put his mark on it. I've seen this, you know, kind of thing over all the, the centuries that they've been around. Wow, and so that's, that's so cool. Yeah, and so that's the kind of central image that where he started this poem back in the 50s. And it's, it's basically that's it's a, a book it's of... It's a great yeah, concept. It's, it's a book of separate pieces, but it's centered around some themes that are that he always saw as one unified theme so it's a really great book and it's kind of the kind of the centerpiece of his poetry I think uh, although he's written his uh, book called uh, Danger on Peaks that came out after this when he was in his 70s it's an amazing book of poetry and well I, I personally feel that uh, you know it's funny because we always think of uh, these brooding, handsome poets in their youth making all these effects on others, but but really it's the elderly that I think affect because well, I mean, they've it's, it's lived a, through a life. And, it's the cumulative effect. And, and they've contemplated over the, the whole of a life. Right, and their own ideas have matured. I mean, Snyder has mellowed so much in the last 20 or 30 years when you, when in the 70s, he was much more of a radical mind, and his readings tended to be a little more confrontational. Right. He was the guy who always had to have all the windows open, and the breeze had to be coming a certain way, and everybody thought he was very difficult in some ways, but he really isn't. Yeah. So. Well, and this neatly dovetails into my experiences with uh, literature this week, which first started with the gifting of a book uh, from my friend Nancy. It came at the height of my work frenzy. Right. And totally unexpected, I get a gift in the mail from my friend Nancy, and it's a book called Let Evening Come, Reflections on Aging. It's by Mary Morrison. And uh, even though I received it about a week ago, I think, I didn't get a chance to really start delving into it, even though I was really excited to get it. Because this is, as people probably know, a very interesting facet of life to me. Aging is an interesting facet of life. And this is a very slim volume, very pithy in its content, and, and the author really wants this to be unsentimental, just kind of a, observations. Yeah. And I think it's really nice to to read basically what someone's thoughts about aging 
from the standpoint of just almost a journaling approach. And that's one of the first concepts that that the author has is that you have this time to discover who you are. So it's more important than any other time to be journaling your thoughts because once again, this is the culmination of who you are. So who are you and what have you discovered in life? So I first got this and was starting to read it and very uh, interested in a lot of the, the concepts this person had about being on the periphery on, in family even, mm-hmm. instead of in the center, mm-hmm. um, that as you age, you need to deal with more paradoxes and, and understand the paradoxes. Marvelous uh, start of the book. And cool. I've, I've only begun this book. Yeah, I'm then, looking forward to reading that one too. But then I, um, I was on the bus and I, as is my want on the bus, I listened to podcasts. I, I've gotten to the point where it's very difficult for me to read on the bus because I'm a, a much more affected by the bumpiness of the ride for the reading than I used to be, and I'm not sure why that is as I've gotten older. So it's easier for me to just listen to things. And I was listening to This American Life, and Ira Glass, at the end of uh, one of their themed shows, uh, said... I have the unusual luxury of having uh, the show not encompass the whole hour. And I would like to use these final minutes to read something by Donald Hall that I was very impressed with. And I think it was because Donald Hall had just died. I I think it was a a tribute because he did speak of his death. But I thought that he mentioned it as being an essay he read in The New Yorker. And uh, so I was so startled and (coughs) amazed by the content of this pithy couple of paragraphs and how much it uh, spoke to me. And I thought about it a lot. And then when I, you know, I was just on the bus musing about what I heard and then when I got into work I immediately wrote to you and said is this this quote in the essays on 80 which uh, essays or essays after. after 80 which I had not yet read but I knew that you had in your bookcase and you you couldn't identify it right away but uh, you also admitted its power and uh, and then when I came home the the book was on my uh, on my place and the coffee table. Yeah. And first of all, I want to just mention the cover. It's it's just his face uh, that totally encompasses the cover. Yeah. And the cragginess of the wrinkles and the, the bags under the eyes and the sort of uh, slightly bleary eyes. But, oh my God, he looks like what I would think of as a wizard, you know, yeah. like a Gandalf or a, a, it just, he looks like a wizard to me. And I thought, what a powerful front cover. Yeah. I, I was so impressed by it. But I've been reading it this morning, but I, I particularly would love Bill to read uh, the passage that, that 
impressed me so much, the Ira Glass Red. And it's, it ends there. It starts there. <coughs> this is from the essay called Out the Window. Ends here? Yeah. After a life of loving the old, by natural law, I turned old myself. Decades followed each other. 30 was terrifying. 40 I never noticed because I was drunk. 50 was best with a total change of life. 60 began to extend the bliss of 50. And then came my cancers, Jane's death. And over the years I traveled to another universe. However alert we are, however much we think we know what will happen, Antiquity remains an unknown, unanticipated galaxy. It is alien, and old people are a separate form of life. They have green skin with two heads that sprout antennae. They can be pleasant. They can be annoying. In the supermarket, these old ladies won't get out of my way. But most important, they are permanently other. When we turn 80, we understand that we are extraterrestrial. If we forget for a moment that we are old, we are reminded when we try to stand up or when we encounter someone young who appears to observe green skin, extra hands, and protuberances. People's response to our separateness can be callous, can be good-hearted, and is always condescending. When a woman writes to the newspaper approving of something I have done, she calls me a nice old gentleman. She intends to praise me with nice and gentleman. Old is true enough. And she lets us know that I am not a grumpy old fart, but nice and gentleman put me in a box where she can rub my head and hear me purr. Or maybe she would prefer me to wag my tail, lick her hand, and make ingratiating dog noises. At a family dinner, my children and grandchildren pay fond attention to me. I may be peripheral, but I am not invisible. A grandchild's college roommate, encountered for the first time, pulls a chair to sit with her back directly in front of me, cutting me off from the family circle. I don't exist. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. I, I just, for some reason, hearing that extraterrestrial, that it, because it really made sense to me, I have become, you know, watching my mom aging, which is the the primary person that I have that I've really watched through every stage because you know with your grandparents or at least when I for my grandparents we didn't live nearby we were um, it was sort of like they aged and we would see them at these intervals but they were spaced in such a way that we didn't see the slow progression we just saw these what I thought were rather alarming um, you know like at first everything was fine and then all of a sudden my grandfather has a stroke we come in and he's you know unable to speak and and it was an alarming thing to me as a child to say well I wasn't even a child I was in my um, kind of junior high days you know and I I couldn't piece it together but when you're an adult and you've seen aging, but you watch it from a close kind of situation. You know, I talk to my mom every day until just recently because now there's nothing, there's no conversation. You know, there's, it's just, 
just I love you. And it just seems sort of almost like she knows that and she doesn't need to even hear it as often as she used to need to hear it. Yeah. I think it's I, I think it's the loosening of the the roots, you know. Anyway, it's fascinating to me to read and to read that about extraterrestrial because there isn't any way that a person who's in the the main vein of life still can understand what it's going to be like or what it is in front of them that they're right, seeing. Right. They can't you you understand ever, it. You only ever see it from the vantage point of someone younger. Yeah. Until it's you. And then you then you're experiencing it, but you can't relate the experience because you're not able to. Uh, because I don't know I don't know how you would do it. I mean, you know, the paradoxes thing that that other woman was talking about those are the paradoxes you know you can't you can't uh relate what you're experiencing and on the other side of it you can't reach them to 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 feel the relation i would love to read that little paragraph because it's short and uh, this this book is very pithy when i call it a slim volume i was thinking about was it jerry seinfeld or someone who was saying why don't why do they call it a slim volume why don't they just say it's skinny, <laughs> hardly has anything in it, you know, <laughs> malnourished or something like that. But it isn't that. It's just pithy. But she says, we need to become comfortable with paradox. Paradox, the collision of irreconcilable opposites that sparks light into a truth beyond either one. Paradox may have touched us only lightly from time to time in years past. Now in old age, it rules our lives. Failure is success, loss is gain, defeat is victory. Every loss contains a gift. Losing one's life is finding it, finding yourself, lose yourself. In my end is my beginning, in my beginning is my end. Many of the great life truths come stated in paradox, and we have heard them often. Now in old age, we begin to experience them. Yeah. And I feel like we're just in the little baby steps. We're just, in yeah, we're just getting going on it. Yeah. But that's part of what I love about this dive I've been doing into Gary Snyder because there's a lot of end of life stuff being talked about and discussed and it's it's being fit into a context that I kind of feel like I've been building for the last 40 years, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to be old enough to start to be able to fill in some of the pieces and really have a sense of completion of knowledge of something that is, you know, yeah, I don't even, what, what has poetry been in my life in terms of the list of most important things? It's up there. You know? Oh, I know. And, but I mean, how do you quantify that over a lifetime? You know? It was interesting because it felt like, uh, it felt like a lot of what we were absorbing this week constituted a kind of a summing up that was okay. That was a kind of a, it's it's like some of the some of the thought about some of the things we've been experiencing over the last few years has kind of caught up with us. Yeah. And and it feels like I'm we're in a we're in a moment where we feel like we've got all the information we need for a second or something. And uh, which is why I think it's appropriate to read the Gary Snyder poem. I do too. Yeah. Because it's kind of a summing up. 
what I want to read from, and I'll set it up here and then read it upstairs because, <laughs> and I may reread the Donald Hall upstairs and, and edit it in. That's fine. Okay, because I don't feel like I did a very good no, job. No, that's fine. Because my head is too into Gary Snyder at this moment. Uh, Gary Snyder spent 40 years working on a long poem called Mountains and Rivers Without End. The second Gary Snyder book I ever owned after Turtle Island, which is the book that we had uh, in that literature, the Northwest class, which he won the Pulitzer Prize for in 1974. Um, the first book of his I got after that was a small press publication, and it was six sections from Mountains and Rivers Without End was the name of this. It was just a little chapbook. And so I had read some of the poems in this book I read back in 78. And the book came out in Toto in 1996, yeah, 40 years after he started it. And I remember going to Elliott Bay Books and hearing him read. And I don't know if I had him sign this book. But um, I asked him, I remember asking him, you know, gee, I thought this was going to be kind of like the the long poem that you were going to be working on right up till the end of your life. And he goes, oh no, I always meant to finish it. It always had a beginning, a middle, and an end in my mind from the time I started it. You had to get, I had, you have to get to the end of the scroll. The, the scroll doesn't go on forever. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. So I, re I remember that as a, a clarifying moment in my encounter with Gary Snyder too. But anyway, the poem I want to read is the last poem uh, in this book. And it's called Finding finding the space in the heart. And uh, it's kind of a summing up of everything that's come before it in the, in the book. So it's a book that's, that I think everybody should read. May I end before you go into that poem? Yeah, end of the reading. Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. <laughs> With when a sentence you boy. from Donald Hall's good coffee. Essays After 80 yeah. that I absolutely loved, which seems to be good to end on. Poems are image bursts from brain depths, words flavored by buttery long vowels. I love that. Image bursts from brain depths, even though that's hard to say. This is my bookmark for Mountains and Rivers Without End. Oh. <laughs> made a bookmark of an old black and white photo of my two kids when they were, when they were very, very small. The looks I know. I know. Yeah. It seemed appropriate for this book. So a little Gary Snyder to finish off with. Finding the Space in the Heart I first saw it in the 60s, driving a Volkswagen camper with a fierce gay poet and a lovely but dangerous girl with a husky voice. We came down from Canada on the dry east side of the ranges, Grand Coulee, Blue Mountains, Lava Flow Caves, the Albert Desert, pronghorn ranges, and the glittering obsidian-paved dirt track toward Vaya. Seldom-seen roads late September and thick frost at dawn, then follow a canyon and suddenly open to silvery flats that curved over the edge. Oh, ah, the awareness of emptiness brings forth a heart of compassion. We followed the rim of the playa to a bar where the roads end and over a pass into Pyramid Lake from the Smoke Creek side by the ranches of wizards who follow the teepee path. The next day we reached San Francisco in a time when it seemed the world might head a new way. And again, in the 70s, back from Montana, 
I recklessly pulled off the highway, took a dirt track onto the flats, got stuck, scared the kids, slept the night, and the next day sucked free and went on. Fifteen years passed. In the eighties, with my lover, I went where the roads end, walked the hills for a day, looked out where it all drops away, discovered a path of carved stone inscriptions tucked into the sagebrush. Stomp out greed! The best things in life are not things. Words placed by an old desert sage. Faint shorelines seen high on these slopes. Long gone Lake Lahontan. Cutthroat trout spirit in silt. Colombian mammoth bones. Four hundred feet up on the wave-etched beach ledge. Curly-horned desert sheep outlines pecked into the rock. And turned the truck onto the playa, heading for no knot. Bone-gray dust boiling and billowing, mile after mile, trackless and featureless. Let the car coast to a halt on the crazed, cracked, flat-hard face, where winter snow spirals and summer sun bakes like a kiln. Off nowhere, to be or not be. All equal, far reaches, no bounds. Sound swallowed away, no waters, no mountains, no bush, no grass, and because no grass, no shade but your shadow. No flatness because no not flatness. No loss, no gain. So, nothing in the way. The ground is the sky. The sky is the ground. No place between. Just wind-whip breeze, tent-mouth leeward, time being here. We meet heart to heart, leg hard-twined to leg, with a kiss that goes to the bone. Dawn's sun comes straight in the eye, the tooth of a far peak called King Lear. Now, in the nineties, desert night, my lover's my wife, old friends, old trucks drawn around, great arcs of kids on bikes out there in darkness, no lights, just planet Venus glinting by the calyx crescent moon, and tasting grasshoppers roasted in a pan. They all somehow swarm down here, sons and daughters in the circle, eating grasshoppers grimacing, singing sutras for the insects in the wilderness, the wideness, the foolish loving spaces, full of heart. Walking on walking, underfoot, earth turns, streams and mountains never stay the same. The space goes on, but the wet black brush tip drawn to a point lifts away. <laughs>